Please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. One of the blessings, the really great blessing of regular expository preaching where you take a book of the Bible and you just work your way through it like we do here regularly from the pulpit uh, and as a church is that there's, I, you always get a real sense, I get a real sense, and especially in the last few weeks, that Jesus, especially through the Gospels like this, Jesus is talking to us. You just get a sense that Jesus is giving a message to us through his word. And, uh, you, you know, it, it's, we live in a day of identity issues. People have identity issues and identity politics and identifying in a certain way. And the Bible actually says a lot about this. Scott preached on this uh, several weeks ago. And uh, one of the identities that I delight in more than any others is uh, slave of Jesus Christ. Um, and I'm not afraid to use the word slave of Jesus Christ, even though slave has such negative connotations in America because of the form of slavery that was here. But uh, bond servant, uh, slave of Jesus Christ. But it's, it's, my, it's one of my favorite identities, as it were, or thinking about myself, you know, is that I'm here for him, for his glory, to do what he wants done to further his kingdom. And, and part of that, for myself personally, is this regular expository preaching. Lord Jesus, what, what are you saying? What do you have to say to us? And then communicating that clearly. And uh, so today we're going to have another experience of that, Lord willing, through uh, Matthew chapter 25, as Jesus is, prepare, is preparing to leave the earth for his, from his first advent, uh, his first appearing here at the earth, and preparing his people for that. And we're going to look at that in Matthew 25. So turn with me to Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. It says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. <clears throat> to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. And then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them, <clears throat> excuse me, and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. The Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you had not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I did not, that I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I would have received money, uh, my, received my, back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would please be with us, and we pray that as we are studying the words of our Lord Jesus while he was here upon earth, words that have been preserved by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the direction of the Spirit for our edification, for our encouragement, we pray that you will help us. We pray that you will help us that as we are 
listening to Jesus's parable here that we are asking ourselves, what does this saying to me? What is here for me? What do I need to take away from this? Give us grace, we pray. Give us grace to be active hearers and to be uh, good hearers and then to do and do and do. Give us grace, we pray, Lord Jesus. You loved us. You died for us. You reigning now. You continue to love us. And you're coming again. And we will stand before you. Help us, we pray. Prepare us through this parable, we ask. In your precious name, amen. <clears throat> The next two parables that we're going to be looking at, this one and then, Lord willing, next week, the next one, have to do, in one sense, with the Lord returning and with accountability. And it can confuse some Christians because they say, well, wait a minute, salvation is by grace through faith, and yet here we are being judged, as it were, by what we do and such like that. And people get confused by that. Well, let me help clarify that confusion a little bit. The Bible teaches that when you become a Christian, something very powerful, dramatic, supernatural, transformative happens in your life. It happens in your life. It, becoming a Christian isn't just deciding to turn over a new leaf or deciding to do things differently or deciding to get rid of old habits or old friends. Becoming a Christian, as it's described in the Bible, is to be born all over again. All over again. So that a master theologian once said, I'm confused to Jesus. Does that mean I have to enter back into my mother's womb and be born all over again? Jesus said, no, it's a spiritual rebirth, but it's a transformation. Sometimes the Bible uses the language of being raised from the dead uh, and, and that you're now a new creation, a new creature. And the, Holy, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. And that impact of that experience should start transforming and changing your life. How you think, how you act, how you react, what you desire, what you long for, how you even view your actions. So some things that you used to do, now you kind of don't want to do them anymore because they look ugly or you're even ashamed by them and, and other things you want. That's, that's what it means to be born again. And so what's going to happen on Judgment Day isn't a, 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 a scale by which your good works are weighed against your bad works and if your good works outweigh your bad works, then you get to go to heaven. That's not it at all. But what is going to be evaluated on Judgment Day is our lives. It's our lives. It's our words, our what we deeds, what we did, how we treated others. That's going to be evaluated. Why? Because that's going to show whether this new birth, this change of heart, this transformation, a genuine, true, saving faith dwells within us. And that's so. I hope that helps clarify this this confusion. Now, this passage and the passage previous with the, 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 the young ladies who, were, who, who had oil, some had oil, some of them forgot to bring oil, this passage also now deals with the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the implications of that and the accountability of that and, uh, and possibly how that's going to work out. Now, what happens here in this text, I'm just kind of preparing for it, is that this text actually is going to answer some of the biggest issues that people have in life. Some of the biggest issues. Why am I here? Why am I here? Why did God create me? Why am I here? Why? And then, and then for some people, especially for the older folks among us, why am I still here? Why am I still here? I'm, I'm, I'm old and, and, and decrepit. Why am I still here? And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to, once again, weave this into his theology of delay because he's going to try to prepare his church for the fact that his second coming may be delayed. We're going to see that here. Second coming will be delayed. There's going to be some time. But that, that delay is an important thing. It's not a, oh, well, where is, he? where is he? Why isn't he here? Why isn't he here? Why is this dumb delay? It's not a dumb delay. This delay is important. Peter tells us it's so that people will be saved. So that the gospel will go forth. So that more than just these 12 little apostles are going to be saved. So that the entire world would be, would be reached with this gospel. And so that people's lives would be changed. And this delay, it involves for us certain responsibilities. What are you going to do with the delay? Are you going to make good of the delay? Are you going to be bad in the delay? Remember the, the, the parable of the two, Jesus told of the two servants. And one was a good and faithful servant and he took care of the, and the other one was bad and wicked and got drunk and, and was a mess. 
And, and so will you be diligent in the delay? Will you be faithful? Will you hang in there? Will you endure? Will you have enough oil? That's what Jesus is getting at. So let's look at this one. This is called the parable of the talents. Now, at this point, I want to be careful. I want you to be careful because I'm going to, I'll explain this, but be careful here. The word talent, as it's, as it's translated here in your Bible, is very different than the actual English word talent. This word talent doesn't mean what the English word talent means. The English word talent is some gifts or abilities to do something. And although that's not what this word talent is going to mean here, and I'll explain this in just a few minutes, but there is going to be a link between that. So just, just be careful of that when you, as you're watching, as you're looking at this parable. Well, hopefully we'll clear all that up. So let's begin verse by verse, verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. Okay, so number one, here we have the theology of delay brought in again. The literal word actually means into a foreign country, a country that is not his homeland. He's going far, far away. He is probably going to be gone for years, okay? And that's what you need to understand in the way that this was first given out, how people understood it. So this man's going into a far country, and then notice this. He calls his own servants, and he delivers his goods to them. And literally what this is saying here in verse 14 is he took, he obviously, he's going to this far, far country and he's going a long way away. He's going to live in a foreign land. So he's taking a bunch of cash and suitcases and clothes and things like that. But he's leaving the, the bulk of his livelihood, all of his wealth and money. And this guy's really wealthy. He's leaving it in the hands of others. That's what he's doing here. So he calls his servants and he, and he, tell, and he gives them this money. Um, these goods. And so it says in verse 15, and to one he gave five talents. Okay. Now, what is a talent here? A talent here is actually a weight. It's about 75 pounds. He gives this guy 75 pounds. What's he give him 75 pounds of? A precious metal, and it's probably silver because that word is actually used, although it's translated money in your Bible. The word could be silver or money. But he's giving them 75 pounds of some precious metal. Now, you all know that we weigh silver and gold by the ounce. I don't know what gold is right now, but it's really high, and, and silver's high. I don't know what it is either. I, I, but the bottom line is, is if you're talking an ounce of gold is 1000 bucks then 16 ounces, which is a pound, a lot of money, and then 75 pounds, lots and lots of money. But, what they, but the way they looked at talents in Jesus' day, this word talent, is they looked at it more as this. It was equal to 6,000 what's called a denarii. And a denarii was a coin that an average worker got for one day's work. That's how they did their sort of math. So it's a day, 6,000, one talent is 6,000 denarii, 6,000 days of work, which is about 20 years, okay? So one talent is about 20 years of labor. So what I did is I just went at $18 an hour, which seems like that's what everybody's uh, advertising right now, $16 an hour. One talent would be equal to $864,000, okay? One talent, so think, keep that in your mind, one talent, $864,000. Now, with this guy, the first guy, notice verse 15, he's given five talents, which is about $4.3 million. So he's giving him $4.3 million, okay? He gives him five talents. To another, he gives two talents, about $1.7 million. And then verse 15, uh, I'm sorry. And then to another, he gives one talent, which is $864,000. Now, notice the next phrase. To each according to his own ability. He gives out this, these talents according to the person's ability to handle that kind of responsibility, to handle that amount of money, and to deal with it. Now, that's not a mean thing, by the way. It's not a mean thing. Like the guy gets, you know, this guy gets five, this guy gets two, this guy gets one. He's being mean. No, it actually would be kind of mean to give somebody who could only handle one talent five talents. He's in way over his head. He can't handle that. That's too much responsibility for him. So each of them, though, are given according to their Ability, And then notice at the end of verse 15, he immediately leaves on his journey. Verse 16. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. Now let's pause here for a second. Because a lot of times you hear this preached. A lot of times you hear people uh, working this thing out. And they get, you, you get a sense that they just went on the stock market and started day trading and everything like that. Well, they didn't have a stock market in the way we understand it. They didn't have day trading. They didn't have anything like that. Jesus is going to talk about a bank and profit. 
What this guy probably did is he took this $4.3 million and he went to work. In fact, that's what the word actually means. When it says traded, the literal word is he went to work. He probably, in, you know, he bought land and, and, and hired people and planted crops and sold those crops. He bought land and built and, 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 and sold uh, the houses and things that he built. He was involved in business and he was working hard and he was managing $4.3 million, okay? And that's what he's doing. He's working hard at this thing, all right? Verse 17, likewise, he who had received the two gain two more. Same thing. Working, 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 working hard. And then you have the third guy, verse 18. But he who received one went, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his Lord's money. And so it's very simple. Digs a hole, puts it in the ground, buries it, walks away, and for as long as the Lord is away, for that, that long distance of time, yep, money's just sitting there, okay? Now, look at verse 19. After a long time, now, again, this is the theology of delay. This is one of the emphasis that Jesus is putting in here. After a long time, Jesus is sort of in, 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 in kind of a side glance. He's saying to his disciples, be prepared for a long delay. Be prepared for a long delay till I come back. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. He calls them all in. Now, verse 20. So he who received five talents came and brought five other talents saying, and I hope you catch the, um, the excitement in his voice because it, it really is exciting. And, and I know that by one word that he uses here. He says, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. And then it's this word, look. It's a, it's a, it's a powerful word in Greek. It's idu, behold, look, get excited. I have gained five more talents besides them. And so this man comes in, he's excited to see his Lord, he's excited to present his account before him, and he's excited to show him a profit of 100%. Dear friends, this is a ton of, this is a huge, huge, even in today's scale, this is a huge profit, a huge, who doubles your money? Who doubles your money? But this man worked hard, and this is a huge success, and it's been a long time, and he's put all of his effort into it, and he's so excited to present this to his master. Verse 21, the Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Remember that word faithful. We're going to return to that in a few minutes. Lord, uh, you were faithful over a few things, and I will make you ruler. So now, look, he's, he's a servant. Now he's a ruler. I will make you ruler over many things, Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now, it's interesting here because in here, in this passage, it's almost like you go beyond parable, you go beyond the, the economics of it, and all of a sudden, eschatology just came in. Because when he talks about the joy of your Lord and you ruling over things, Jesus has already used that kind of language for, for the kingdom, for, for the new heavens and new earth, for, for what you're going to enter into. And so it's obvious that this is he, Jesus is weaving this into the, the second coming and, and the new heavens and new earth. And so, but notice here that faithfulness in this present time before the Lord returns will then show itself in greater, now notice this, greater authority, responsibility, uh, and reward in that sense, okay? I know you say, well, what's that all mean? Uh, ruler in heaven, like the authority. I, I'm not sure what all that means. Uh, will it, It's glorious. It's amazing. Think about it. Um, we, we may get into that a little bit more when we get into uh, the book of Revelation, but there it is. It's pretty cool stuff anyway. Uh, so, that's my deep theological insight at that point. All right, look at the next verse then, verse 22. He who had also received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. He's excited too, 100% profit. In one sense, even though you have a five-talent and a two-talent guy, both of them have worked really hard. Both of them have doubled their, their the, the, in one sense, the result is the same, even though the amounts are different. And so this man also gets the same commendation. 
And notice what, it sa- what the, the master says to him. The, verse 23, and the Lord said to him, good and faithful servant, you have done faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And then we have the third guy, verse uh, 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said. Now, there's no excitement in this man's voice. There's, in fact, he's, he's got an ax to grind. He's got an attitude problem. And he's going to blame the Lord for his lack of success. Notice what he says here. He says, Lord, I knew that you, for you to be a hard man. I knew for you to be a hard man. Now, that's the word, the Greek word scleros, where we get our word, uh, you know, arterial sclerosis, hardening of the arteries. It means to to become hard because it's become dried out. And then it, it took on the meaning to be stiff, stubborn, unyielding, describing a person who won't budge or is unyieldingly harsh. And that's what he's doing here. He's blaming him. He's saying, you, you're not a nice guy, which is really interesting because his attitude is way different than the other two guys. The two more capable guys, by the way, his attitude is way different. They love their Lord. They're excited to serve him, and they're excited to give him uh, this money back. This guy has an attitude problem. He says, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered, and I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. And listen to this line. Look, there you have what is yours. Here, here's it back. You gave me $864,000. Here's $864,000. It's back. I kept it safe. Here it is. Because I don't like you. I don't trust you. And it's your fault because you're nasty and you're a hard guy. Verse 26. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. Now, notice what the Lord is doing here. This master is not saying, well, yeah, I guess I am kind of hard. Yeah, I guess I'm doing He's going he's gonna to repeat these guys' words, but he's not agreeing with him. He's saying, I'm not the problem here, dude. You're the problem. You're the problem. You're wicked, you're, you're bad, and you're, you're lazy. Your problem is you're lazy. And notice what he says here. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, And gather where I have not scattered seed. I mean, you thought I was that guy? Then verse 27, so you if you really thought I was that guy, you wouldn't go buried in the ground. You'd at least put it with the money changers. And then when I came back, I would at least get my 8%, 6%, even 10% interest. These guys gave me 100% return. You're going to give me this. You could at least give me that small return. And then in verse 28, he says this, therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. Give it to that guy. That's, let him manage that because he'll do a way more better job than you'll do. And then it says this, to him, for to everyone who has, more will be given. And he, who, he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has has been taken away. Now, this is actually the second time Jesus has made this statement. He made it one, uh, earlier in Matthew 13, 12. And what Jesus is literally saying here is this. To those who experience the blessings of grace, the blessings of salvation, the blessings of heaven, all of the good things that come to them, they just keep getting heaped in with more and more and more and more and more and more goodness. But those who are without, those who don't have, even what they have will be taken away and they will be getting less and less and less. For instance, think of this. Think of this. What does salvation say in the Bible? What does the Bible say about salvation? Well, salvation is God pours his grace out upon us. Like David shared with us this morning and we sang, God pours out his grace, his unmerited love, his love even though we're saved. He gives us his son to die for us. Jesus becomes our righteousness. So we literally have a righteousness before the Father. All of our sins are cleansed and washed and, and, and punished upon the cross. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He adopts us as his children. He guides us all through our lives. He works all things together for good. He provides us with everything that we need. When we die, he gives us dying grace. We fall asleep in Jesus and we go to heaven. 
And there he gives us, he gives us glory, he gives us glorified bodies, he prepares a mansion for us. We live with him forever, we have responsibilities and pleasures and joys and we're reunited with our loved ones. And it's just like blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon grace upon grace upon grace. Think of the person who's lost. I don't want Jesus, I don't want him in my life, I want to run my own life, I want to be, it's this guy. I'll bury whatever you give me, and I'm just, I'm, I'm too, I don't want to do that. Plus, besides, you're a mean God. You're not a nice God. You've never been anything good to me. What happens to him? He lives without God in this world. He lives alone in this world. He's lost. He dies. He dies alone, as it were, because no hope, no offer of salvation. He goes to hell. He descends to hell. He dwells with the devil and the demons forever and ever and ever in terrible remorse and terrible pain. Now, once again, read that verse. To him who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Then look at the next verse. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, now notice how, once again, Jesus takes a parable about economics, and he, he brings in now hell, judgment day, eternal issues. And that's the parable. So let's ask ourselves. Well, let's apply this to ourselves. How do we apply this to ourselves? Now, what I'm going to address here, what I want to apply this to is to, I'm, I'm going to apply it to my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ here first. You're, you're a Christian. You're here. You're a Christian. How, how do we apply this parable to ourselves, okay? Well, I think the first thing that we need to understand is this. In Christ's kingdom, every single person has been given gifts from God. Every single one of you here has been given gifts and, and abilities and such like that from God to be used for his glory. Those are your talents in that sense. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And while you're turning there, I want to really encourage you, if you haven't, if you don't, I, I want to encourage you to pick up the church newsletter and read it. These people who are putting it together are doing just a fantastic job. And uh, there's great articles in there from other people and everything. But in last month's letter, I would really like you to grab it, um, Judy Musgrave wrote a, uh, a letter. It was a letter of appreciation. And when I read that letter, um, I was just struck by the fact that, that that letter encapsulated, really, Judy didn't mean to do this. She just wanted to say thank you. But that letter encapsulated for us, uh, all of us what a wonderful thing a, a, a healthy body of believers is. Because Judy was thanking uh, the office bearers and thanking those who, who serve in the nursery, thanking those who do dinners together, thanking those who help each other. She was just telling what a, what a uh, she was expressing her gratitude of being a part of a church where so many people are serving in so many different ways. And that's the biblical model of the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul was writing this. And look at verse 4. He says, there are diversities of gifts but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but the same God who works, that all, works in all in all. And the, but the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Now, one of the things Paul's dealing with here is that people were actually fighting over certain supernatural gifts, uh, tongues and healing. They were fighting over it and dividing. And Paul's trying to say, no, no, no. The unity is that the same Lord gave us all these gifts. And this, the unity is that we all have gifts. Look at verse 17. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one. Each individual person has been given manifestations of the Spirit that will enable them to use and to minister and to serve. And then look at the, the second part of that verse. It says, uh, it, but to each has been given the manifestation of the Spirit for the profit of all. Gifts have been given to you to minister to others. You've been given gifts not for yourself, but to profit other people. And we all have these gifts. We all have them. We have been given gifts, and, we're, and if we don't have, and, and, we're, and we're supposed to use those gifts in a humble servant, we're not supposed to, to, to compete with those gifts. We're not supposed to say, oh, wait a minute, I didn't get a gift. I don't preach, and I don't sing, or I don't do this, or I don't do that, so I'm checking out. No, look at verse 15. Paul says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I am not part of the body, is it therefore not part of the body? No, it's definitely part of the body. If, 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 you're, if you're a foot, if you, then be a foot. 
and, and, and do that part. And do it, do it humbly and do it with a servant heart because that's what your master did. That's who he was. So all of us have gifts. All of us have gifts. All of us have uh, things that God has given us for the good of others, for the good of others, okay? And in the church for the body of Christ and for the building of the kingdom. So that means this, secondly, you are here for a reason. Not just sitting in this pew, you're here for a reason too, but you're here for a reason. You're here on earth for a reason. You're actually here for a reason in 2022. I know you don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. I, I, I love history too much. I, I said, why wasn't I born in the 1700s? I, I fit there better. You know, why wasn't I born? In, no, no, no. And then I think about, well, you know, uh, pulling teeth with pliers and, you know, no antibiotics. And I said, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm, 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 I'm maybe, maybe it's cool. But the bottom line is, is you and I are here in 2022. We have been chosen to be alive at this time, given gifts for a purpose and for a reason. You are here for a reason. If God knows how many hairs are upon your head, if God knows the number of how many hairs are upon your head, then God obviously has crafted you for a reason and brought you into the world for a reason and has put you at this time, in this place, in this area of the country, in this decade, in this year, for a reason. You're here for a reason. In fact, there may be many reasons, not just one. In fact, those reasons may change over time as, you're, as you grow older and older and older. As you, when you're a child, when you're a teenager, when you're, when you're a young adult, there's reasons why God has you here. This isn't a fluke that you just showed up here. There's reasons. So then we ask the question, well, okay, Todd, I'll buy into that. But I still have the question, why am I here? What are the reasons? Well, in the Bible, that's, that's pretty straightforward. Number one, you are here to glorify God. That's the, that's the baseline. You and I are here for his glory. He has made us for his glory, and we are here for, to glorify him. Paul says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So one of the reasons why you and I are here is to glorify God. These are the big reasons. The second one is the advance, and it's tied into this one, the advancement of the kingdom of God. God is redeeming the world. God is sending forth his gospel into all the world. God is bringing forth the message of salvation to the whole world. God is taking the world back. God is transforming the world from the fall. God is redeeming and saving and, and drawing people and adopting and sending forth his message and building and growing his kingdom. And he saved you. He, bought, he brought you in this world. He saved you. He gave you the Holy Spirit. He gave you a manifestation of the Spirit. He gave you gifts. And he put you in this, this, this big major project. We just prayed for this dear couple here. They're heading out to do this project. And we're all, but they're not the only ones. We're all called to be faithful stewards of what he has given us. And we're supposed to go out there and do this project. It's the advancement of the kingdom of God. And that's why God has placed you in the family that he's placed you in. That's why God has placed you in the neighborhood he's placed you in. That's why God has placed you in the workplace that he's put you in. That's why God has placed you in the sphere of friends that he has placed you in, the sphere of influence that he has placed you in. And that's why God has placed you and I in the church that he has placed us in. And what we are supposed to do now is we are supposed to be careful and to use our gifts and talents for that purpose. Now, here I want to kind of pause or take a little time out or put a parenthesis here, although this is, my, this is one of my major points, and that's this. We have to be very careful when we start talking about this because I believe that this has been really mishandled by especially our churches, not our church in particular, but by evangelical churches, and I'm sure that you have tied into this. And I think that's because the word talents here, which is a, a chunk of money, and the English word talents, which I got talent, you know, kind of I can dance. I can, we, I think we lose something in the midst of that. 
And so oftentimes what happens is, is that in evangelical churches, we do these gift assessments. And I don't like these gift assessments, if you ever had one. It's like, go down through and let's assess your gifts. And then there's these, this limited little category. Can you teach Sunday school? Can you preach? Can you sing? Are you good with, uh, with money? Can you, can you do this? Can you, can you help uh, keep the church going, the building going? Can, and so there's the, are you good with little children? Can you do VBS? Can you do this? And, and, and all of that plays in. But I think sometimes that the, em the, the emphasis then uh, lands on that kind of thing. And I'm not sure that's particularly helpful for people. I'm not sure that's actually particularly biblical in one sense either. The second thing is, is that we live, in a, we live in the United States of America. And in the United States of America, there, there used to be a phrase, the business of America is business. Like, we're Americans. We're not Europeans. We're not, we're not people like, we're Americans. We don't, we don't sit around. We do. We build. We make. Bigger is better. Bigger is better. More flashier. More programs. More this. More that. And I think the evangelical church has bought into that. And so when we think of gifts, we think of programs, and we think of this, and we think of budgets, and we think of that, and we think of up front, and we think of podiums, and we think of microphones, and we think of electric guitars, and we think of, we think of, we think programmatically. And I think that that really hurts us. It really hurts us. So let me give you an example. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, there's four places, primarily four places. There's also some secondary places where sort of gifts and ministry and things are, are opened up. Um, Romans 12 is one of them. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14 is another one. Uh, Ephesians 4 is one. And then uh, in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 4 is one. But look at the Romans one. Paul says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For I say, through the grace given to me, huh, look, that's his manifestation. His, he's doing his part. He's doing what God put him here on the earth for. Through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt with each a measure of faith. For as, we, as, for as we have many members in one body, in our physical body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So here he's using the body imagery that my body has many parts, the body of Christ has many parts, and do your part. Don't, don't be high-minded and think you have to be some big important conference speaker goes around the world or whatever. Uh, just do your part. Do your part. That's what he's saying. And then he says this, verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Each of us have a manifestation of the Spirit. That's how he put it in, in 1 Corinthians 12. He says this, used, uh, uh, given to us, let us use them. Now, notice the list that he gives here. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Now, a lot of times people read the word prophecy and they think of foretelling the future or telling who we're going to marry or telling us this and that. That's not the primary emphasis in the New Testament at all. You could almost put the word preaching in there. You could almost put it, that in there because that, that is much more the flavor of what it is. Just read the prophets and you'll find that out. But anyway, uh, in proportion to our faith. But notice the second one. Okay, so preaching is the first one. Okay. Now, your Bible, the New King James says, or ministry. And that's a shame. That shouldn't say that. Because it's the word diakonia, diakonia which means service. Diakonia means service. It comes from the Greek word to be a waiter with a, with a, uh, a towel around his waist who goes and gets you your, your, your water and goes and gets your order and goes and gets and serves you. That's what the word means. It's diakonia, where we get deacon. So Paul says, if your ministry is serving people, waiting on them, serving them. And you see, in the New Testament, because the New Testament and the, and the, new, and the kingdom of Christ is so upside down compared to the world, service is greatness. The greatest among us is the greatest servant. And, not, and we're not supposed to puff each other up. And that's what Paul is getting at. So then he goes to teaching. But then notice the next one. This, again, this Bible uh, translates it as, as exhorter, but really that word parakaleo means one called aside, and it can be used primarily, it's used mostly for encourager. Your gift might be encouraging people. See, see what I'm getting at? Then he who gives, look at the next one, he who gives, the person who God is blessed with and they can give out, do that liberally. He who leads, lead with diligence. But then notice the next one, he who shows mercy. With cheerfulness. 
See, I've never seen a gift assessment done by some evangelical ministry that has service, encouraging people, showing mercy. But here's what, here's what is, this is what I'm trying to get at, because I think sometimes people go there and they say, oh, man, I can't teach Sunday school. Oh, man, I can't lead youth group. Oh, man, I can't handle the nursery. That would drive me nuts. Oh, man, I can't, I can't serve as a deacon. That's too much responsibility. Oh, man, I can't be an elder. There's no place for me in the church. There's no ministry for me. What's my place? What's my role? Don't think like that. That's not what you're supposed to think like. We are, it's not about something that, that's a performance or attention getting. It's, it's helping other people. It's being light and salt where God has planted you. In Matthew 5, Jesus said, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. He says, and, and do your good work so that people will see that and glorify God. It's, it's normal, ordinary life. It's looking at your normal, ordinary life and saying, how can I glorify God? How can I glorify God in my ordinary, normal life? What ways has God gifted me and enabled me and called me that I could help others? I felt really bad last week because I stood up here. I, I thought, and this is just because I'm old, but when, when Lee was up here sharing about the tech team, I was sitting down there and I, was, and I made a mental note to stand up and thank these people. And, and thank you, tech team. Thank you all very much. See, these people are using their skills and abilities, and we never think of them. We never think of them until what happens. And they're like, oh, that tech team. And then they get it all. But now everything's going smooth. We don't think about it. We don't think about it. We just sing along, sing along until the next chorus doesn't come up. Then we're like, la, 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 whoa, whoa, just awkward. Tech team, straighten up. And we don't. But, be, but these people are using their, their gifts, their abilities, their help. And they're there and they're serving and they're behind the scenes. And they're, they have a gift and God is giving them and they're using it. That's an example of it. Well, how can I, how can I, ask yourself this question. How can I advance Christ's kingdom? How can I be a part of this worldwide mission to advance Christ's kingdom in the world, that, in, in, in the place that God has given me? How can I make a difference? And part of this is just taking up your ordinary and your primary callings that God has given to the glory of Christ. Are you a husband? Love your wife. Take care of her. Nurture her. Build her up. Let her feel loved. Help her to, to flower as, 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 as a dear daughter of God. That's your calling as a husband. Are you a wife? Love your husband. Serve him. Be a helpmate to him. Respect him. Build him up. Are you ch a child? Obey your parents. Do what God would have you to do. Are you a parent? Take care and, and nurture your children. Pour yourself into them. Give yourself. These are human beings. And in our culture, we have completely taken the most important job that there is in this world, which is raising your children. And we've lowered it down below career. These are human beings and you are nurturing them. And I want to tell you something. I never knew this until I got old. There's some advantages of being old. There's a ton of disadvantages, but some advantages. And one of them is this. You get some wisdom about you. In fact, just this week, I had dinner with a man that I have known for over 50 years. He's been my friend. He's, he's, he's we're, we're, we're done, as it were, you know. He's still working, I'm still working. He's very successful with what he's doing and everything. But you know what we talked about? My wife was there, successful real estate agent, you know, done a lot. His wife was there, she's a veterinarian successful woman. You know what we talked about? The Lord and our kids. We talked about our kids. And afterward, I reflected and I thought, because that's our magnum opus. That's, our, that's, our, <laughs> that's the main thing in one sense that we did. And so I just want to say to you parents, raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Are you single? Are you single here? What are you doing to advance God's kingdom? What are your gifts? How are you using them? And how are you taking advantage of being single? There's a great advantage of being single. You have a lot more time on your hands. You really do. You have some less response. Paul even urged people, don't get married, so that you would be single and you would be able to give yourself completely to the kingdom of God. Jesus is your role model. Paul is your role model. John the Baptist is your role model. Barnabas is your role model. All of these godly single men who led and who gave and who served and served others. Are you an employee? 
The Bible says glorify God in being an employee. Don't just do things when people are looking at you. Put your whole heart into it. For the glory of Christ, serve well. Are you an employer? Treat your employees in a way that is God-honoring and, and that you're, you're taking good care of them and you're providing for them and you're not being mean to them and you're not yelling at them. Are you a neighbor? Are you a neighbor? Have you met your neighbor? Have you met your neighbors yet? There's this whole thing going on in churches, and I really welcome it. I've been reading some, and I've been trying to do it myself. It's called neighboring. These people are saying, you know what? In this day and age where we fly in our cars and we push the garage door and it goes up, and we drive out and then we drive in, push the garage door down, and we're in. Many of us don't even know our neighbors. And Christians are intentionally trying to just meet their neighbors to share the gospel with them. Do you have neighbors? Have you met them? Are you trying to reach them for Christ? Are you praying for them? How are you seeking opportunities to witness to them? Are you being sensitive to the needs of the people that are around you? Are, do you hear the blind beggar? Do you, do, you, do you, as the good Samaritan, do you see somebody who's going to dreadfully inconvenience you, but they have a need and your heart of compassion goes out to meet their need? That's part of what this is talking about. This is part of why you're here upon this earth. And do you have special gifts? Do you serve the church? Do you have a role in the church? Why are you here in this church? Why did God put you in this church? What are your gifts? What are you doing to advance and strengthen and establish this church? What are you doing? Those are the kind of things that this parable should lead us to ask. Now, are you old? Are you sick? Are you handicapped? You might be sitting here and saying, Todd, that's great for everybody else, but I'm old or I'm sick, or I'm even handicapped. What do I do? Why am I here? Why am I here? Now, I've asked permission to share with you what I'm about to share, okay? And I got permission to share with you. I was just recently asked this question by Randy Rear. Why am I still here? Why am I here? And this is the answer that I gave to Randy and to Rita. I said this. I said, first of all, I said, you got two boys that are watching this whole thing play out, and your faith and your, your endurance and your, your, your pressing on and how Christ has given you strength has been a great encouragement to them. But I also said to them this, you have ministered to me immensely, and they have. Have they not ministered to you? They've ministered to me. Their endurance, their, I will get texts from Matt as he informs the elders, and I'm like, how could people take one more thing, one more hospital? Randy's being life flighted. Randy's in the emergency. Randy's on a ventilator. Rita is, the, is living in a hotel and this and that. And we've tried to support as much as we can, but, but how do they keep doing it? And they, and they will tell you. They keep doing it by God's grace. And they're full of faith. I went over to visit Randy. He's full of faith. He is calm. And they have their moments. But And I look at them and I think, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because they do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Randy even quoted that verse to me. And while we were sitting there, I said to them, I was trying to encourage them that they have a ministry and they're doing it. And I said to them this, and I didn't get permission, but he's not here and I can outrun him, so I don't see him here. So he'll forgive me, I'm sure, because he's gracious. I said to them, let's talk about Reuben Soto. I said, let me ask you this. Has Reuben Soto ministered to you? And the answer is yes. 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 And I said that to Randy and Rita. Has Rudos, what has Reuben meant to you? Reuben. Handicapped his whole life. Living in immense pain every day. Unrelievable pain every day. It's a miracle to get out of bed in the morning. It's a miracle just to keep pressing on. But guess what? Reuben doesn't have a negative attitude. He doesn't, he's not mean-spirited. Why did God do this to me? You're a hard and cruel taskmaster who reaps what you don't know. Reuben's full of joy. Reuben has an amazing sense of humor. 
Reuben ministers to me. And when I am feeling sorry for myself and whining like a baby, I think like about Reuben and I strengthen myself in the Lord and I move forward and move on. What am I saying? Reuben is using his gifts and having a vital role in this church and in our lives by simply being the faithful man that he is. And I could go on. I could go on. Phyllis Eastlake, Ron Courtney, I could go on and on and on. Ray Mern, I could go on and on and on. Of these people whose lives have been faithful to Christ for generations and generations and for years and years and years and who still love him and are still serving him. And they're an encouragement to me. I called Ray Nelson to try to encourage him. He's on his, his hospital bed. His kidneys are, are, are struggling. He's struggling along. And by the time the phone call was over, I was encouraged. I was ministered to because here was simple but profound, deep, childlike faith. Who was trusting his father. It was in his father's hands. This is gonna be, and I hung up the phone and said, oh, God, by your grace, let me be a Ray, even close to being a Ray Nelson, when I'm in that hospital bed. And he ministered to me. And so, dear ones, be all that you can be. You're here for a reason. And God has given you gifts. And God wants those talents to be used. Please do not be one of those people who does nothing. The worst thing is those who do nothing. You're gifted, you're talented, you're intelligent, you're healthy, and you're spending it all on yourself. You buried your talent, and your talent is useless. It's down in the mud because you're, you're lazy, and you don't want to do anything, and you want to think about yourself. That guy, part of what he was thinking is, I don't want to be like these guys. They're working themselves to the bone trying to make money for this hard master that I don't even like. I'm going to bury it. It'll be safe. Put a big rock over it, and then I'm going to have a good time. And then when that old geezer shows up, I'll bear, I'll dig it up and say, here, here's your money. Here, you got it back. Dear ones, are you, is it all about you? Are you serving just you? Do you care mostly about you? Well, here's the problem with that road that you're on. That road is going to end right where you want it to at this point. It's going to end with just you. In the end of your life, it'll just be you. And you will die alone. No Christ holding you, not like a little babe falling asleep in his arms. It'll just be you. And you will descend into hell with the other people who are just totally, totally self-centered. And guess what's going to happen there? And this is horrible to even think about. All of God's grace and goodness that is still trying to protect you from you is going to be removed, and you're going to become this wicked, evil black hole of you, of selfish, broken you. You're going to be mad in hell. You're going to hate God even more. You're going to lash out at him. And you're going to be with all kinds of other people who are these black holes of themselves. And you're going to be in outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said those words. That's not me trying to make you psychologically mess you up. That's what Jesus said. And I'm his slave. I need to tell you what he said. And what I'm warning you is this. Look at your life. Take an assessment. God is offering you salvation and gifts and use. And guess what? To whom much is given, even more abundance will be given. But to he who loses it will lose everything. Don't lose everything. Come to Christ. Trust in him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, it just seems like your voice keeps coming through these texts and just keep talking to us and warning us with the same urgency that when you first spoke them. We know you love us. We know that these things aren't fantasy or fairy tale. We know that you're coming again. We know that we will all stand before you individually and give an account for what we did with the gifts and graces and all that you've given us, the stewardship, the responsibility. Help us, we pray. Help us. Help us to even want right now to hear you say, well done, good job, good and faithful servant. Help us to even want that. Help that us to motivate us and help us to live lives of purpose, lives of meaning, lives intentional, that we could be all that we could be in every area of life that you have planted us, 
that we could be salt and light. Give us grace, we pray. In your precious name we pray. Amen.